0: For another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Friday, May 7th, 2010. Nope, we're not doing Friday Light today. We're doing a regular program. Some things I want to do. Stuff we didn't get to cover yesterday that I think we should... Plus, I have a Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley sermon for our sermon to today. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which is to help you to think biblically, to help you to think critically, and to compare What people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is no shortage of crazy things being said out there. Uh, One of the phrases I like to use in describing it is I say the people are rolling their own theology and smoking it. Unfortunately, this is an illegal narcotic in the Kingdom of Heaven and uh, we're not called to roll our own theology. Uh, creativity doesn't earn you brownie points with God, and I don't care how silly your, your uh, theology is and untenable you might think it might be. Apparently that's the the uh, standard by which you tell whether something's really cool. Is it new, completely untenable, bizarre, makes your brain hurt? Yeah, that must be new. That's got to be true. Yeah, I know. Jesus says uh, he calls us to have the faith of a child. In other words, children can get it. It's real simple. What's this what's the message we've been called to proclaim? Christ, Him crucified for our sins. Yeah, it doesn't get any more profound than that. And it doesn't get any more scandalous than that. In fact, even the life we live in love towards our neighbor um, is lived under the cross and the understanding that Christ died for our sins. Plain and simple. Ah. <sighs> All right, it's Friday today, and, well, I can't say normally we do uh, Friday Light on Fridays because Friday Light has been kind of one of those movable holidays. It, it It's like Easter. You never know when it's going to hit. Uh, you have to kind of – anyway, uh, well, um, we're not doing Friday Light today. I have decided to uh, to can Friday Light for this week. I don't know. We might do it next week, but I – it's – it, when I find really good lectures I want to pass along, I think I'll do, I'll just kind of do it that way. In the meantime, today we're going to do a regular edition of Fighting for the Faith and get to some of the stories that we didn't talk about yesterday that I wanted to talk about uh, because I decided to uh, take the time to, well, deal with the Ed Young Jr. spin machine numero dos, Um And uh, so as a result of it... Uh, I went long in the first hour yesterday, and then we did our procrastination. I mean, our time management uh, lecture, it wasn't a, I can't, you can't even say it was a sermon. You, you just can't. Uh, we did that yesterday from Scott Hodge. And so today's edition of Fighting for the Faith, let's see here. I'm going to have to play, <laughs> I'm going to have to pay the, play the Patricia King music for this one. Gloria Copeland, the uh, wife of Kenneth Copeland, Apparently uh, says that we can control the weather, weather. we can uh, rebuke tornadoes in Jesus' name. We're going to be listening to that. And, uh, and then yesterday I wanted to get to these stories and didn't get to them. Um, let's see here, opening this here up. Uh, evangelicals and gays, why can't we just get along? The uh, Methodist Church has rejected uh, structural changes that would have created inclusive membership and uh and then the lutheran uh the e l c a has taken the gloves off regarding the lutheran core group and uh john uh paul a PhD has uh has i don't know if you call this a blog post or the well actually it's an a journal article from the journal of lutheran ethics uh from the may uh, from this month may twenty ten and um Wow, he, uh, yeah, I'm gonna have to read this to you so you can hear what's going on here. I'm, I'm kind of glad they've taken the gloves off and decided to actually show their fangs because, yeah, keep in mind when, uh, the liberals and the emergents, uh, depart from the clear teaching of the Word of God, they claim that those who are standing by the Word of God and, uh, saying, no, God's Word is clear here, that they claim that those people who are standing on the Word of God and will not be budged off of it, they're the ones being divisive. And so uh, this particular um, journal article by John Paul um, is a great example of um, the liberals who have departed from the Word of God calling those who are being faithful to God's Word, uh, calling them divisive. So we're going to be looking at that. And then our sermon review today in the uh, second hour is uh, from Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley from Bethel Evangelical Free Church in Hanley, Stoke-on-Trent in the UK. And uh, the name of his sermon is entitled Ignorant Wise Men, And it's taken, uh, the text for his uh, sermon is taken from Acts chapter 17 and uh, in the Mars Hill uh, incident from Paul's second missionary journey. So uh, got lots of good stuff to talk about today. So um, strap in, put your fuzzy buzzy bunny slippers on, grab your adult beverage, or whirl up the treadmill, whatever is your thing, and uh, let's dive into the program proper. And um, here's a first. I, <clears throat> yeah, normally when you hear this music, I've reserved this particular opening for Patricia King, and well, truth of the matter is, is that before there was Patricia King, there was Kenneth Copeland and... Gloria Copeland pretty much uh doing the same thing. And so uh Gloria Copeland <laughs> uh my uh, one of my friends on Facebook, a listener to the program, uh, Kevin uh, Burtnick has uh, posted this video on his Facebook wall and uh, and has uh, the link has been uh, shared on my Facebook wall. And um you know, parent- did you know as a as a Christian you have control over the weather? Apparently, I mean you know, this is take it you take your name in and claim it and blab it and grab it theology uh to its logical well illogical in conclusion well no illogical conclusion well you get what I'm saying anyway yeah, um here's uh, you got to hear this to believe it here's Gloria Clo- Copeland on rebuking tornadoes
1: you know you're the you're supposed to control the weather i mean Ken's the primary weatherman
0: you're supposed to control the weather Where does it say that in the Bible? So apparently, you know, you see, this is terrible news, by the way. If Christians are the ones who are supposed to be controlling the weather, you you do understand that that all of the uh, hurricanes and tornadoes and uh, the bad weather events that happen, you know, like heat waves, famines and stuff like that. Well, it's apparently our fault then because, well, we just haven't been doing our job as Christians. Yeah, it's true. I mean, so uh, folks, I mean, next time you hear that there are thunder cells in your neck of the woods, you need to get outside and start doing your Christian duty and controlling the weather so that people's lives are saved. And if you uh, you hear of a tor- of a hurricane barreling towards the Carolina coast or the coast of Florida, or you know, better yet, I mean, Haiti. I mean, those folks they need some they need some weather controlling Christians down there. I mean they're in the middle of the rainy season right now, and it's absolutely miserable, especially after the big earthquake. And uh, so, you know, we need Christians to get down to these uh, third-world Caribbean islands and do their biblical duty and control the weather so that these poor, poor people, you know, don't experience suffering.
1: You know, you're, the, you're supposed to control the weather. I mean, Ken's the primary weatherman at our house, but when he's not there, I do it. He can see what's happening out there. It shows just like they have on at the weather, like on the news. I mean, he's got the computers, got the current weather on it and all that for flying. So uh, sometimes I'll hear something. I'll hear the thunder start. Maybe he'll still be asleep. And I'll say, Ken, you need to do something about this. <laughs> But you are the one that has authority over the weather. One day, Ken and Pat Boone...
0: They're all saying amen to that? Uh, can somebody please give me a clear passage of Scripture that states any such thing? I mean, I, I do remember Jesus uh, performing some weather miracles. I'm fully aware that he did that. Um, uh, the Apostle Paul, Peter, James... No, no no weather-related uh, miracles from those guys.
1: <sighs> well, we were in Hawaii at their house, and we were, they were sitting outside, and there was a weather spout out over the ocean. And that's like a tornado except it hits the water. And so they were sitting there, and they just watched it, rebuked it, it never did anything. One day, I was in the airplane in the back, and my little brother was in the back with me. And Ken was up front flying. And we were not in the weather because we don't fly bad weather. But we we could see the weather over here. And I looked out the window and that tornado came down just like this. Down toward the ground. And Ken said, i rebuke you in the name of Jesus. You get back up there. So this is how I learned how to talk to tornadoes. I saw this. And that... T-
0: this... <laughs> I... I... I I think we might need to get Gloria Copeland. Uh, uh, we might need to have her checked into a facility. Um, so that's where you learned how to talk to tornadoes, huh, Gloria? Yeah. Uh, do they uh, talk back to you? Do, uh, did the tornadoes ever have anything they, they want to say in response when you're talking to them?
1: Tornado went, whoop, whoop.
0: Okay, so tornadoes, you know, apparently if you rebuke them, they're like little dogs. They just go whoop, 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 whoop. Okay. Um, I'm not buying it, but.
1: Even while I was watching it, my little brother was not a devout Christian at that time, and that was really good for him to see.
0: So, you... I mean, yeah, nothing says Jesus died for your sins more than rebuking a tornado
1: man you get out there or the weather woman whichever it is, and you talk to that thing and you tell it you're not coming here I command you to dissipate and you get back up there in Jesus name
0: <coughs> um w- um uh, what do you say to s- something as profoundly ridiculous and stupid as that I think it just uh, speaks for itself. Um, now, folks, if you've uh, been able to, you know, I mean, this, I mean, opens up a whole new form of evangelism, I and mean, we, you know, forget being missional. Let's be uh, weatheral. You know, let's go out and let's, I mean, seriously, we need to get out there and do some weather ministry. You know, and you know, go out there and demonstrate the power of our positive confession. And, uh, you know, take submission, you know, and, and just basically take control of and bring into submission all that rogue weather out there. You know, t- tornadoes, you shouldn't be afraid of them. They're just like puppy dogs. T- you rebuke them and they stick their uh, funnel between their legs and, 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 you know, go yipping down the road like a, a whipped puppy. I just... <sighs> yeah, you you just can't make this stuff up anymore. You just... I this is a, that's about as silly as the holy ghost hokey pokey all right moving along from the huffington post headline reads evangelicals and gays can't we just why can't we just all get along Okay, this is written by. Uh, hang on a second here. I got uh, the Reverend Patrick S. Chen Cheng, uh, PhD. Yeah, so PhD. I mean that means if he has a doctorate, that means you can't challenge him. You you just have to believe him because he has a doctorate. You know, and that means everything he says is absolutely true. I mean, it's, that's all there is to it. So, I mean. You know, I bow to the Ph.D., and you know, <clears throat> no, that's not how it works. Um, Yeah, even Ph.D.s get to have their stuff tested according to the Word of God, because here's the deal. In Jesus Christ, um, he's got better credentials than any Ph.D. on the planet. Jesus has better credentials than me, than you, than anybody. And even though he didn't go to uh, Harvard, he didn't go to Princeton Divinity School— uh, even though he didn't have the opportunity to be taught um, higher criticism by Bart Ehrman down at the uh, at, down at, in North Carolina, in Chapel Hill, um, e- even though he didn't have that—I uh, mean, t- he didn't have the ability to run in the scholastic crowd—Jesus actually has better credentials than all of them. And you're going, "Well, how is that possible?" Plain and simple, he's God in human flesh. If the Bible's God's word, well, Jesus being God in human flesh is really. An expert on the Bible, and it would really be unwise, just terribly unwise, to have a different opinion of Scripture than the opinion that Jesus had, or to take a different tact when it comes to Scripture than Jesus took. And so, as a result of it, you got to be real careful in in how you're handling um, things here. But th- let's take a listen to uh, how um, Patrick S. Cheng, Ph.D. Uh, writing for the Huffington Post deals with, he you know, goes, basically, this is the Rodney King appeal. Can't we all just get along? <clears throat> I read. Why can't Christian evangelicals and lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender, a.k.a. LGBT, people seem to get along? As an openly gay theologian and minister, <laughs> Um. See, that's your problem right there. See, um, the see, um, Patrick, um, we've that's the issue. Right, that right there is the problem. Uh, you see, you're saying that you're an openly gay theologian and minister. Now, you may be a theologian and you may be a minister, but see, at this point, you're not a Christian minister. The reason why I say that is because Jesus Christ has given His church a very specific message to proclaim look it up it's in luke chapter 24 46 47 48 somewhere in there uh, that repentance and the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all to all nations that includes 21st century postmodern america if you would and uh, and and the apostle paul who received his gospel directly from jesus christ himself uh, affirms uh, Jesus's words in uh, in First Corinthians chapter fifteen and says that the gospel he preaches is uh, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture and he was raised again on the third day in accordance with the Scripture. Uh, so, yeah, he, he, so the the Christian gospel is one of the forgiveness of sins won by Christ on the cross. And the Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter six, makes it clear that there are certain people who will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay. Those include uh, adulterers, practicing homosexuals, um, yeah, think people of that. It, basically, people who are unrepentant sinners. In fact, t- let me take a look, let's take a look at the scriptures again, so that uh, we get the full impact of what the Holy Spirit had written by the Apostle Paul. First Corinthians chapter six, um, starting at verse nine, Paul writes. He says. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, uh, do not be deceived. Okay, Don't be led astray. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, uh, nor revilers or swindlers, neither of them will inherit the kingdom of God. And and see, and you're sitting there going, well, wait a second. Doesn't that just pretty much just exclude everybody? Yes and no. And yeah, see, that's the thing, because um, I think in this list, you could probably snare probably 99.999% of all of everybody who's ever lived. Let's go through the list again, sexually immoral okay now if you we go with Jesus' as standard for sexual immorality, that includes guys who um, look um, how, how do we put it uh, look at a woman with lustful intent if you would this t- take that longer look than is um, appropriate um and, and so that would count as sexual immorality in jesus eyes because that 's what Jesus taught about in the uh, Sermon on the Mount. Um, idolaters, people who trust in things, anything else other than God, um, you know, that the thing that they, they trust in, uh, adulterers. Yeah. Guys have committed adultery, uh, or women too. I mean, I guess, you know, it goes both ways there. Uh, Men who practice homosexuality or thieves, if you've stolen somebody, if greedy, that greedy, drunkard, revilers, swindlers, none of those are going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. So so here's the deal. Just in that little list, I mean, it pretty much um, that that little verse right there, those two verses are like an atomic bomb. They just blow everybody apart. I mean, and you're sitting there going, well, then who can be saved? If if none of those people are going to inherit the kingdom of God, um, who is going to inherit the kingdom of God? Notice in the list, though, we we, we got sexual immorality, adultery, stealing, drunkards, revilers. I mean, it's a pretty broad list. But see, then we got verse 11. and, And the apostle Paul says, and such were, were some of you, such and such were some of you. Yeah, yeah. See, Paul is writing there, in, you know, it, using um, a past tense uh, uh, word there, um, basically talking about them as they used to be, not as they are. He said, "Well, wait a second. What are you talking about here?" Yeah. See, here's what happens. But well, watch this. He says, "But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ." and by the Spirit of our God. Uh, you see, now here's, so what's the thing that makes the difference of the whole world? Being washed in the sanctifying blood of Christ, if you would, it's washed in baptism and having your sins washed away, uh, That being sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, those who've been given the gift of repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name, God no longer considers them to be greedy, drunkard, revilers, swindlers, um, sexually immoral, idolatrous homosexuals. God doesn't see them anymore. See, when you are brought to repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name, you're washed, you're sanctified, you're declared righteous in Christ. And so as a result of it, I mean... We don't, the Christians don't consider themselves really um, as people who are, you know, identified, you know, they don't identify themselves with their sin. I mean, that would be like, I mean, to do so would pretty much be like claiming that dead people still make decisions in the affairs of people today. Um, you know, that, uh, you know, somehow my dead grandpa, you know, I that I need to get his blessing uh before i make a decision to uh you know to make a trip to minnesota yeah he's dead he he has nothing to say on the matter and he's not any more involved in the affairs of what goes on here in the same way uh christians are dead to sin we're baptized into christ we're dead to it and so we don't identify anymore with our sin we identify it, we are, our identities are in christ because we are buried with him. We're raised with him. Our hearts are circumcised by Christ. We're washed. We're redeemed. Our sins are atoned for. God's wrath has been propitiated. He has rescued us from slavery to sin, death, and the devil. You see, so already, I mean, just in the opening words of this opening paragraph, um, we've got a problem, and that is that is that... um. Um, Patrick Cheng who writes for the Huffington Post says he's an openly gay uh, theologian and minister now he may be a theologian he may be a minister but he's not a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ he's not a Christian minister he's not bringing the message that Jesus told us to bring repentance and the forgiveness of sins in his name so there's the problem right there he's a theolo- he's rolling his own theology and he's uh, he's practicing his own theology too because in his in practicing his own theology um well he's not right he does not come to the point where he run, understands that homosexual sin just like idolatry and thieving these are sins that Christ died for, and he calls us to repent of them and to be forgiven for them. So we continue. It says, as an openly gay theologian and minister, I've been troubled by the increasingly polarized discourse and the apparent lack of compassion and respect that each side has shown for the other. Neither side is blameless. It often seems like both evangelicals and LGBT people are more interested in winning the culture wars on their own terms, than in understanding and recognizing the full humanity of other uh, of the other. Okay, I, I'm not exactly sure what that means. Um, I, I admit there's people out there fighting the culture war. Um, I'm here preaching the gospel, and uh, so he, I have no problem in basically saying to you, Patrick, listen, all those LGBT folks out there, they're just as sinful and human as I am. Uh, Christian evangelicals, on the one hand, often claim that their faith and values are under attack by LGBT people and by the larger secular culture, and they are, and as a result, such individuals have tried to prohibit or repeal same-sex marriage equality laws through state referendums like California's Proposition 8. Yeah, you you forgot an important point there, Patrick, and that is is that... um, in so many of these states, uh, the people didn't choose, they didn't vote to have same-sex marriage. It was shoved down their throat by a court, you know, uh, some court that found an invisible right somewhere in the in the state constitutions uh, that you know, somehow, you know, who knew that, you know, that the state constitutions had hidden in them these secret rights to, for homosexuals to become married? I mean... And so as a result of it, you know, if you remember how the events go, the, these courts, these liberal courts, discovered this invisible right and then basically opened the door up for same-sex marriage. And what ended up happening is, is that the voters in those states, they did the thing that was legal to do. They went out and collected signatures, had a, an initiative put on the ballot, and the people in the states voted plain and simple they voted you know uh, you know, we want same sex marriage yes or no we don't want same sex marriage yes or no and over and again the electorate has chosen to say no homosexuals although they're human just as human as I am and although um, you know although you know we don't have a problem with them doing their thing, I guess. Uh, that's we're not going to grant them the status of marriage in their relationships because that's just not right, and you know for whatever reason. So uh, you, you got to keep in mind, mo- remember how these stories unfold. Okay. Anyway, they've also tried to pass laws that would impose criminal penalties, up to and including the death penalty, upon LGBT uh lgbt people around the world this is he's referring to uh there's an african nation uh that uh, was talking about that lgbt people lgbt people on the other hand often see christianity and organized religion as the number one enemy with respect to achieving full legal rights <sighs> really uh so apparently uh you know they won't stop until they are allowed to until they force us to see uh, homosexual marriage is marriage, and that's apparently full legal rights. As a result, many LGB people see, seek to remove all traces of spirituality from the public realm. In fact, some of these individuals insist on keeping the wall of separation between religion and society so high that many people in faith, including LGBT people of faith, find it difficult, if not impossible, to talk about their deepest passions and theological beliefs outside of their communities of worship. Things are changing, however, with respect to the traditional evangelical hostility towards LGBT... LGBT... Traditional evangelical hostility. Um. No, Um. evangelicals are not traditionally hostile towards... Um, homosexuals. Evangelicals are commanded by Christ to love homosexuals and to tell them the truth and call them to repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. That's not hostility. Uh Jesus Christ loves homosexuals so much that he died for their sins. That's not hostility, that's love. There's a big difference. Anyway, a growing number of, quote, Christian evangelicals, including Brian McLaren. Yeah, he's not a Christian evangelical. Tony Jones. Nope, not an evangelical. Andy Marin are challenging the status quo with respect to LGBT people, even to the point of drawing sharp criticism from their fellow evangelicals. I'm sorry, but Brian McLaren and Tony Jones are not evangelicals. They are emergent liberals. Uh, These courageous... Evangelicals, <clears throat> they're not evangelicals, believe that it is time to bracket the biblical and theological disagreements in this area and focus instead on the urgent task of repairing the broken relationships between evangelicals and LGBT, LGBT people. Yes, yeah, see, that's the problem. Again, uh, f- first of all, uh, let us in case you haven't heard, McLaren and Tony Jones, they're not evangelicals. They're emergent liberals, okay? And uh, listen, I... I understand that there's hostility and animosity in the LGBT uh, community against evangelicals. I get it. But, see, the bigger relationship uh, that evangelicals are more concerned about, uh, the bigger relationship, I see, listen, I understand that there's going to be some people that are just never going to like talking to me about this issue because I'm going to constantly tell them about repentance and the forgiveness of sins and tell them truthfully that God has already revealed and God has spoken that homosexuality is a sin. And so as a result of it, the broken relationship I'm most interested in focusing in on is the broken relationship between homosexuals and God, Okay, and how Christ has come to to address that. In fact, Christians have been given the ministry of reconciliation. In fact, let me uh, pull this up in my computerized Bible here. I want to make sure that, you know, I'm quoting it correctly. Hold on. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Okay. Um, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. By the way, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, I started at verse 16. Uh, even though we once uh, uh, regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all of this is from God, who, who, uh, who through Christ reconciled us to himself And gave us, as Christians, the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we're ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us, and we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, um, you know, I understand McLaren and Tony Jones and those guys. They're not evangelicals, they're emergent liberals, and they're they're they want to bracket the conversation in order to repair the broken relationship between evangelicals and LGBT people. The problem is is that evangelicals are really doing nothing more than proclaiming the, the, rec- you know, the reconciliation in the big relationship that's the important one, and that's the relationship between the LGBT community and God himself. And God has spoken. He wants all sexually immoral people, all adulterers, all idolaters, all thieves, all homosexuals, all name the sin— to come to repentance and the forgiveness of sins in His name, plain and simple. And if if the LGBT community wants to continue its hostility towards God, then really there's no the that see that's the problem, is is that you know as long as there's this hostility between the LGBT community and God and what He has said and what He has rightfully demanded then um, there's going to be hostility between uh, the LGBT community and evangelicals because evangelicals understand that they're not to move off the word of God or to change the message. Um, So, yeah, in fact, in fact, we would be doing a disservice to the LGBT community if we were to focus on the less important relationship. You see, I understand that it might cost me a good relationship with the lgbt community to tell them the truth that that god has spoken but i'll risk i'll 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 risk suffering a bad relationship with the lgbt community so that i can tell them about the really important relationship that is broken and that's the relationship between the lgbt community and the god who created them and the god Died on the cross for their sins. So, yeah, that's kind of where we're at right now. Now, if you want to read the rest of this article, I I, could go on for a long time. It's at the Huffington Post in the religion section. It's by Patrick S. Cheng, C H E N G, Evangelicals and Gays. Why can't we all just
1: get along? Well, as
0: soon as you surrender, I mean, as soon as you repent and are forgiven of your sins, I mean, we get along just swimmingly. I mean, it's just. I'm just saying. Anyway, anyway, we're up on our uh, first break. If you'd like to uh, email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Goodness sack is not the measure of true Christian sanctification. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Let's face it, it's a visual age, and the old Bible is impractical and irrelevant, but that shouldn't hamper your spiritual growth. If you're tired of all those words like atonement, sin, justification, and all that deep stuff about God, look no further. ...announcing The Massage, a new Bible version that puts you and your personal needs central. Written in a style familiar to readers of the National Enquirer, The Massage concentrates on making you feel good rather than filling your head with all those doctrines that clutter the older Bibles and disrupt unity. So if you've lost that loving feeling, pick up your copy of The Massage today. It's available at your local Jesus and Me stores and at airport terminals worldwide. and summer travel seasons are just around the corner. And the last thing you want to do is pay more for your airfare, hotel, and rental car than you need to. That's why Pirate Christian Radio is proud to have Cheapo Air as one of our featured advertisers. Cheapo Air has over 18 million flight deals, low airfare guarantees, and 85,000 negotiated hotel rates around the globe. And if you visit our website, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap we have a promo code that will save you an additional ten dollars off of cheapo airs already low prices so visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap write down the promo code click on the web banner and book your spring or summer travel today and remember a portion of your purchase at cheapo air will go to support pirate christian radio That web address again is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Thank you for your support. If you're more concerned about your relationship with sinners than their relationship with God, you're probably not preaching the biblical gospel. Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon your financial partnership with us and your generous financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can support us financially by visiting our website, FightingForTheFaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says Join Our Crew. The other says Donate. Uh, When you click on Join Our Crew, what you're doing is signing up to automatically receive, uh, not receive, send in, uh, contribute $6.95 every month to support Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And once we get to a thousand listeners, we are we we just need a little less than three hundred folks to sign up. Uh, once we get to that number, then we'll able be able to pay our bills every month. Kind of important. And then we'll talk about our next financial goal after that because we have we have others. And of course, if you'd like to contribute above and beyond, you can do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box Five. 08 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, so um yeah, uh, moving along here in the news, uh, this is, story comes to us via the Christian Post. The headline reads, Methodists Reject Structure Changes Inclusive Membership. This is by Audrey Barrick, who's a Christian Post reporter. She writes, The United Methodist Church. Now, this is... No, don't go too quick let that sink in for a second the united methodist church you're thinking united meth yeah the that liberal mainline denomination yes the liberal mainline denomination church the united methodist church the umc <clears throat> at least that's what the boys in the hood call it yeah yeah you you heading down to the umc anyway um the UMC rejected a number of amendments to the church's constitution, including one on the inclusiveness of church membership. Did I, did I mention when the story was written? May 5th, Wednesday, May 5th. Okay. The amendment stating, quote, all persons shall be eligible to attend its worship services, participate in its programs, receive the sacraments, and upon... Baptism be admitted as baptized members did not receive a majority of votes to be ratified, the Council of Bishops announced on Tuesday. Some have feared the amendment would challenge the UMC's current position that homosexual practice is incompatible with Christian teaching. Hmm. An earlier tally last year had revealed that most Methodists in the United States were opposed to the proposal on inclusiveness. More than 49,000 representatives of the worldwide church, representing 11 million members, voted on 32 amendments. Only five were ratified, according to the denomination's news service. Among the approved was an amendment that adds gender to the list of categories, ensuring the rights of membership, regardless of race or status and another that allows lay people to vote on matters of ordination character and conference relations of clergy meanwhile proposals to restructure the denomination were denied the amendments would have made the U.S. body one of the several regional bodies around the world similar to the seven conferences outside of the country Africa, Central and Southern Europe, Congo, Germany, Northern Europe, and the Philippines and West Africa. Those seven conferences are currently organized much like the five jurisdictions Northeastern, Southeastern, North Central, South Central, and Western in the United States. Some feared the creation of a regional conference in the United States would lead to an inward focus and create greater distance in the relationship between the U.S. Church and the United Methodist Church in other parts of the world. Critical of the votes uh, rejecting structure changes, retired Bishop Emilio uh, de Carvalho of Angola said that the uh, votes keep in place a 40-year-old colonial structure. Yeah, by the way, whenever you hear liberals (laughs) use the term imperialistic or colonial, that's... That's bad. Yeah, see, the, apparently, you know, you, you don't want to be colonial. Colonial es mui malo malo. So, yeah, as if Christianity is about overthrowing colonial systems, okay. whatever. Anyway, um, okay, um, so let's see. The uh, The vote keeps in place a 40-year-old colonial structure that is a denial of world of the worldwide nature of the church as reported by the United Methodist News Service, proponents of the amendments maintained that the new structure would reflect the growth of the church outside of the United States. The committee to study the worldwide nature of the United Methodist Church, however, said the, vote, the votes implied that Methodists around the world were sending a strong message that the specific vehicle for change was flawed. It left many issues open to broad interpretation, the committee stated. It was unclear how the changes, if approved, uh, would have been implemented. So... There you go. Uh, One of the world's largest liberal church bodies was given the opportunity to, well, be inclusive when it came to practicing homosexuals, and um, well, they turned it down. What a setback. I mean, just... Okay. (sighs) Now for the story I've been really waiting to get to. From the ELCA.org website from their journal of lutheran ethics may 2010 an article entitled the core of lutheran core american civil religion and the white male backlash mhm yeah you know when liberals are pulling off their gloves and that they're getting that they're ready to get into a real nasty fight with you when they notice the fact that you are a white male now I it's just something I wanted to point out. When I listen to liberal rhetoric and I listen to a lot of it. I mean, they talk about being a colorblind society. I mean, what does being a white male have to do with anything? I mean, shouldn't we be judged by the by our the, uh, the, the our character and not by the color of our skin? I mean, I must admit I I am a white male. And um, you know, I just don't like it when those liberal racists uh, point out the fact uh, when they engage in well racial profiling. Yeah, I, I hate it when they do that, especially when the theologues do it. <coughs> the um the story begins with um, a quote a, a Bible passage Romans chapter two, verses one through five, and then verse eight. Okay, this this is again by John Paul Ph.D. Here's what Romans uh, two one through five verse and verse eight says: You have no excuse, whether you are uh, whoever you are, when you judge others for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you uh, because you the judge are doing the very same things. Do you despise the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience? Do you not realize that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But By your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself. On the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed, for those who are self-seeking and who obey not the truth but wickedness, there will be wrath and fury. Uh, Yeah, I've got to pull out my Bible. Um, Okay, Uh, Romans chapters 1 through 2, context- Context, context. I mean, basically, the way he's quoting this verse is basically, you know, that uh, if if you are against uh, homosexual ordination and practicing homosexuality, and apparently this Romans chapter 2 is about you. Um, uh, let's see here. All right. Now, I'm going to start at, because remember, our three rules for biblical interpretation, context, context, context. Since he started with a biblical passage, I want to, you know, stay in the Bible. Um, okay, so we're going to start at Romans chapter one verse eighteen, and we're going to do some reading here, and I want you to kind of watch what happens what Paul's doing here because all of this is from Romans chapter one verse eighteen all the way through to the end of Romans chapter three is one sustained argument okay and if you don't understand that there's that this is all part of one point, one big thing that Paul is trying to make. One big point that he's trying to make, you'll miss the whole point. Now listen, so what happens here in Romans 1, starting in verse 18, all the way through to uh, ending in the beginning portion of chapter 3, is that Paul is going to show that all human beings are under sin, whether they're Jew or Gentile, whether they have the law or don't have the law, everybody is under sin. That's the idea. And then he's going to present the solution of that as The gospel, Christ crucified for our sins and the free forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. Let me point this out. So if you have your Bible, Romans chapter 1, starting at verse 18, we read, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Well, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, lesbianism. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error, homosexuality. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, by the way, it gets worse from here. Homosexuality is not not the worst. Listen to this. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips. Slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, while you condemn yourself, because you judge because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Now we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that it's God's kindness that is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. All who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who are justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what that law requires, They are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their consciences also bear witness their conflicting thoughts, accuse or even excuse them. On that day, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. But if you call yourself a Jew and you rely on the law and boast in God, and know his will, and approve what is excellent, because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you you yourself are a guide to the blind, and a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say, But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So what, then what advantage has the Jew? Or to what is the value of circumcision? Well, much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the very oracles of God. Well, what if some of them were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, even though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, well, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict his wrath on us? No, I'm I'm speaking in a human way. By no means. for then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good might come, as some slanderously charge us with saying? Their condemnation is just. So what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, All are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth might be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be declared righteous in God's sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God and are justified and declared righteous by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus then what becomes of our boasting? Well, it's excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified and declared righteous by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, he is the God of the Gentiles also. Since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law by faith. Now, I read the entire protracted argument there that begins at Romans chapter 1, verse 18, and goes all the way through all of uh, Romans chapter 3. It continues on into chapter 4, but you get the gist of what's going on there. Now, one of the things y'all may not be familiar with is that Romans chapter two verses one through five and verse eight are is probably these are the some of the most favorite verses of liberals that the apostle Paul ever penned. And when they what they do is they take these verses out of context and basically say, "Listen, Paul said you can't judge," and what there's they missed the whole point. Paul's did not say you can't judge. Paul tells us to judge. Jesus tells us to judge and to judge rightly. This Romans chapter 2 verse 5 is not about whether or not you judge. It's about, it's a protracted argument by the Apostle Paul when you read the whole thing in context. What he does, and you heard it for yourself, he tears everybody down by the law. He puts everybody under the condemnation of the law, and then he sets us free by faith in Christ all have sinned all have fallen short and in Romans chapter 1 he begins talking about the you know the wrath of God and includes in the list of sins things that are wicked and evil that come about as a as a result of what as as a natural fruit of men who suppress the truth is homosexual behavior it's clearly there in Romans chapter 1 okay so here doctor paul rips romans 2 1 through 5 verse 8 and verse 8 out of context and then he begins with his <clears throat> article number one yeah by the way he numbered these empires divide to conquer oh okay empire see what I, listen in liberal speak colonialism and em- empires Ooh, very bad very bad Christians have often been prevented from the fullness of our witness to the gospel, if not completely conquered by internal bickering that resolves upon historical examination into causes that have less to do with the central doctrines or practices of Christianity than with jockeying for position in relationship to imperial privilege just such jockeying for power for what paul calls self-seeking is at the core of lutheran core the so-called coalition for reform lutheran core in its mindset in its mildest form, seeks to siphon funds away from the ELCA into ostensibly purer activities. Some of them sponsored by the Lutheran Congregations in Mission for Christ (LCMC). In the most extreme form, core seeks to foment schism and to organize dissenting ELCA congregations into a new church, the North American Lutheran Church. <laughs> Now, I'm reading it like that. Why? Because he's made Lutheran Corps out to be an imperialistic, schismatic, political, money-grubbing machine. No, they can read their Bibles. Last year, last summer, when the ELCA voted to ordain unrepentant, practicing homosexuals, it was clear that they had finally and ultimately abandoned the clear teaching of God's word. And they couldn't stay in fellowship with those who had departed the clear teaching of God's word. The ELCA leadership is heretical. It's not about empires. It's not about political privilege. It's not about money. It's about what God's word says. Let me continue. Lutheran Corps claims to represent Lutheran orthodoxy, but as I shall show, in fact, abandons historic Lutheranism at crucial turns in favor of an American civil religion. This accretion of an American imprint on Corps' version of the Lutheranism mirrors at the epigraph from Paul suggests how Corps leaders have repeatedly accused faithful ELCA leaders of having themselves sold out to America. Even more, the leaders of the Lutheran Corps, because they assert a self-righteous American moralism about Saxon marriage as a litmus test of ecclesiastical purity. Uh, hold on a second here. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of Lutheran Corps. No, let's make that clear. I think they're, they're still wrong because they're going to be breaking away from the ELCA with female pastors, which is clearly forbidden by God's Word. That being said, though, no, the Lutheran Corps is not asserting a self-righteous American moralism about sex and marriage. This is not about American moralism. This is about what God's Word clearly teaches. Earlier in the program, I read 1 Corinthians 6. Pointed people back to Christ in the gospel. If your pastor is basically saying that homosexuality is not a sin, then that is a clear litmus test that he has abandoned the clear teaching of God's word and he's not teaching the biblical gospel. And in fact, he's not loving homosexuals. He's actually doing them a huge disservice and probably hates them because he doesn't love them enough to tell them the truth, that they're sin has earned them hell, and they need to repent and be forgiven. (sighs) Paul says, he says, All in all, the core of Lutheran core is rotten. One can get more than a whiff of docetism, Donatism, Pelagianism, heresies, and all in the doctrinal formulations of the various groups represented in the coalition. Lutheran core represents in its demographic and historical contours a largely white, heterosexual male backlash against the supporting evil changes in gender roles and sexual mores and participate... See, that's the thing, yeah, see. Uh, e- excuse me, um, isn't this racism on the part of uh, Paul? What does the, the color of their skin have to do with anything? Um, um, y- listen, okay. We'd see this for what it really was so clearly if the sentence read... The Core of Lutheran Core represents a largely African American female lesbian backlash against the supposedly evil charges, you know, changes in gender roles. We'd say, "Whoa, that sounds really racist." Yeah, it's racist when you say the the Core of Lutheran Core represents a largely white heterosexual male. Again, this has nothing to do with white with whites this isn't this is not a racial issue this is an issue regarding truth and when you read romans in context it's very clear that homosexuality is a fruit of those who suppress the truth in unrighteousness it's not a it's not a good thing it's a bad thing it's a sin Most fundamentally, the lutheran Corps, uh, the leaders of Lutheran Corps have come to the brink of dividing the Church in an attempt to hold on to or to carve out some power. The movement undermines the universal need to repent and to trust in grace, and it claims to uphold and it substitutes for the Gospel a pale version of American imperial ambition. That the movement obstructs god's demand to let justice roll like waters and righteousness like an ever flowing stream in an attempt to prop up the privilege of a powerful few almost goes without saying, so basically there uh, the charges is that the folks in Lutheran corps who are standing in god 's word and says no, that vote contradicts god 's word, and we cannot continue in in consciously to maintain. Are standing in the ELCA because the ELCA has abandoned the clear teaching of the Word of God. Now the accusation is, is that they're basically a bunch of whites. White imperialists who are carving out for themselves power and money. Wow. So there you have it. Don't don't contradict the ELCA and homosexuality. They might point out the fact that you're white. <sighs> This is just racist propaganda. I mean, this is not theology. This is, I, wow. If you want to read it, it's at ELCA.org, and um, they have a link to a section called The Journal for Lutheran Ethics. It's the May 2010 edition, uh, written by John Paul, P-A-H-L. So, we'd love to get your feedback, by the way. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, I would love to get your feedback, my email address is talkback at com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Sisyoprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
1: This is the air I breathe.
0: This is the air I breathe. I've had enough Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk to you about auto insurance. As the father of two teenage drivers, I know how expensive auto insurance can be. But as expensive as auto insurance is, it's nothing compared to the cost of not having it when you need it. That's why I'm excited to have Allstate Insurance as one of Pirate Christian Radio's featured advertisers. Did you know that drivers who switched to Allstate saved an average of $396 per year compared to what they were paying other companies? Now, I don't know about you, but I think $396 is a lot of money in these tough economic times. Why don't you give Allstate a call and see how much they can save you? You can reach them toll-free at 877 246 1511 again that's 877 246 1511 the good folks at Allstate will be happy to give you a free quote over the phone and remember you're in good hands with Allstate <laughs> the spring and summer travel seasons are just around the corner And the last thing you want to do is pay more for your airfare, hotel, and rental car than you need to. That's why Pirate Christian Radio is proud to have Cheapo Air as one of our featured advertisers. Cheapo Air has over 18 million flight deals, low airfare guarantees, and 85,000 negotiated hotel rates around the globe. And if you visit our website, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, That web address again is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Thank you for your support. Okay, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. Yeah, by the way, just want to make something uh, real clear. If you need to defend your position by pointing out somebody's race, um, then you become the racist. Theology has nothing to do with race. I don't care if you're white, green, blue. It just doesn't matter. If blue seems to be a valid color, especially in the post-Avatar days. All right, time for sermon review here. <clears throat> The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We are an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley. He is a pastor at Bethel Evangelical Free Church in Hanley, Stoke-on-Trent in the UK. Name of the sermon Ignorant wise men. Love this music, by the way. I want to get to the. Oh, ah, part. Hang on a second here. I, I hate it when I get distracted by my own music. I, I didn't play it, I mean, it's just on the show. whistle that cool, you know, you know, they just, here comes, here comes, ah. Ah. it's almost as fun as the white man overbite. If you could see me now, you would have thought i lost my mind. Let's kill the music. Anyway, sorry about that. We're, Pastor pa- Pastor Charmley's uh, sermon, by the way, is fantastic. And um, I want you to pay attention to this. Okay, the, uh, I've done some sermon reviews this week, and two in a row that I've played yesterdays and the day before. Uh, the the pastors supposedly preaching the so-called sermons, uh, they're more like lectures, really didn't do anything any kind of job whatsoever that can be called good uh, when it came to telling you correctly what God's Word taught, okay? Pastor Charmley is in is in a completely different league altogether. And, I mean, Pastor Charmley is a pastor. Those other guys, they're just upstart, um, self-help peoples. And so what you'll see here is in our sermon Pastor Charmley is going to begin by reading a large and long section of scripture. And then he's going to do the unthinkable. He's going to actually preach Christ and him crucified from the text. He's going to rail against sin. He's going to rail against idolatry, false doctrine. And he's going to present as the solution. Guess who? Guess who? Guess what? Jesus Christ and him crucified. (laughs) Ah. Sorry. I mean, that's really what it's all about when it comes to preaching, isn't it? Okay, so without any further ado, here is Pastor Gervase Nicholas Edward Charmley on Ignorant Wise Men.
2: Our scripture reading is found in the book of Acts, Acts and chapter 17, 17th chapter of the book of Acts. And we are continuing, of course, in the... Uh, account of Paul's second missionary journey. Acts chapter 17. Now when they had passed through Antipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went in to them, and for three sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded. A great multitude of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the leading men, some of the evil men to the marketplace, and gathering in a mob, set all the city in an uproar, attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people but when they did not find them they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city crying out these who have turned the world upside down have come here too Jason has harbored them and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar saying there is another king Jesus and they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things so when they had taken security from Jason and the rest they let them go. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they had arrived they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair minded than those of Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness, and searched the scripture daily, to find out whether these things were so. Therefore many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea they came there also and stirred up the crowds. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea but both Silas and Timothy remained there. So those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come with all speed they departed. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens his spirit was provoked within him. When he saw the city was given over to idols. Therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshippers, and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him, and some said, What does this babbler want to say? Others said, He seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods, because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak. For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but to tell or hear something new. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For others passing through and considering the objects of your worship. I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore the one whom you proclaim without knowing, here my proclaim to you. God who made this world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times, and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As also some of your poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, We will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them, however some men joined him and believed. Among them, Dionysius the Iopagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. We trust God's blessing progressed on the reading
0: of his holy and precious word. Okay, that wow. Already, I mean, the first five minutes of this was just one long reading of Scripture. It's wonderful. I mean, if Pastor Charmley did nothing else than this, He already is more faithful than than a thousand purpose-driven pastors. Uh, uh, This is just, oh man, I I can't wait to hear what he does with this text. uh, Let's continue. Our text is taken from the chapter that we
2: read, the 17th chapter of the book of the Acts. Reading from verse 16 through to the end of the chapter. Acts 17, 16 to the end of the chapter. We have here the account of Paul in Athens. The gospel comes into the world for everybody. It is addressed to everybody. To the wise and to the unwise. To the learned and to the ignorant. To the Greek, to the barbarian, to the Jew, the gospel is universal in its address.
0: The gospel speaks to man. Okay, got to point something out here. In olden days, we would say the gospel is Catholic, universal. This is what it means to be Catholic in the truest sense of the word. It's for everybody. Keep in mind, back in those days, people thought gods were regional. They were tied to particular regions. And here we've got a gospel to proclaim to Jew and to Greek, to the whole world. To, it's a universal gospel. It's a Catholic, small c, gospel. Good stuff.
2: ...as man. And so the scriptures are not a scientific book, because scientific books can only be understood by scientists. It is not to say the scriptures are in any way opposed to science but they do not speak the language of science, they speak the language of the ordinary man because the gospel speaks of language that everybody can understand. It is addressed to absolutely everybody. And we see in the book of Acts various types of people from the Jews to the Greeks and ignorant Greeks, ignorant Gentiles And learned Gentiles. All sorts of people hear the Gospel. Now Athens was the intellectual capital of the Greco-Roman world, home to a, a great university. But Athens' glory days were over by the time Paul reached there. What Luke says is quite true. But all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear something new, some new thing. They spent all their time seeking after new ideas. Philosophy had gone from seeking for wisdom to seeking to surprise people. Seeking to say something nobody else had ever thought of, however absurd it might be. And this is the case with modern philosophy, what is called postmodernism, which is reigning in the universities of our nation, is quite absurd when we reduce it to its actual essence, which is that we can know no truth at all. The truth is there is truth is unknowable. And yet, that is a claim for truth. You say it is true that no truth can be known. Then how can you know that no truth can be known? Truly. For that, what the state at which Athens was, the state at which our society is intellectually.
0: Yep, that's absolutely right. But uh, then again, you can't know anything that's... That anything that's, and you can't know that there's anything true. I mean, the, the only truth out there is that, that there's a plurality of truth, you know.
2: The glory days are gone, and philosophy is rapidly becoming bankrupt. And it's into that city that Paul came. He was forced to flee from Thessalonica and then to leave Berea as well, and traveled all the way down to Athens and we see here in this account of Paul and Athens first of all, provocation secondly we see Paul's estimate of paganism and finally we hear the proclamation of the true God so first of all we have provocation the provocation Paul here was waiting to sort for Silas and Timothy. And as anyone waiting in a great city, he wandered around. He would have to get food for himself. He wandered around the city, and it was said at Athens that there were more, there were nearly as many gods in Athens as there were people. That means there were nearly as many idols as there were inhabitants. It's been reckoned there were at least 30,000 idols. 30,000 images of the Greek gods in Athens, and not many more people lived there. It was a city that was given over to idols, as Luke tells us. You could not go into the marketplace without seeing dozens of idols. You could not walk down a street without seeing dozens of idols. And there, overlooking the whole city as it is today, was the Acropolis, dominated by the Parthenon, the huge temple to Athena. And the whole top of this, hit, of this mountain, really, crowded with temples to the idols, temples to the Greek gods of mythology, wholly given to idolatry. And so Paul was provoked by this. He saw ignorance of God. Here was a city that prided itself on wisdom and knowledge like Oxford or Cambridge in England. Pride itself on knowledge. And yet they were utterly ignorant of the true God. What an irony that is. A city Given over to learning and to philosophy, and the word philosophy is a Greek word meaning the love of wisdom, and they had no knowledge of the true God at all. Here they were looking to find out the secrets of the universe, and they did not know the greatest secret they did not know God. They were looking for all sorts of things, and they did not know God. The Apostle speaks in 1 Corinthians, and he says, Where is the wise? 1 Corinthians 1. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God with the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Foolishness is what it seemed. The world through wisdom did not know God. You look at a man like Richard Dawkins, a very clever, intelligent man, and yet a man who denies God through wisdom he did not know God. And you will find men like that in all the universities, praise God, there are those who have submitted their learning to God. But you will find many, many in the universities who are incredibly intelligent, incredibly and yet do not know God. The world by wisdom did not know God, the
0: Greeks
2: did not know God by their wisdom. Instead, there were these philosophers who had their own ideas about God. See, the common people now it still worship Zeus and Athena and all the pantheon of Greek gods. All those gods that we have heard about in the mythology. But the philosophers realized that God or the gods could not possibly be these supermen living on Mount Olympus, with all their frailties and all their wickedness, they realized that the true God could not be like Zeus, who was forever coming down to earth, lusting after mortal women. The true God could not be like that. And so they came up with their own ideas about God. We have mentioned here two groups of philosophers, the Epicureans and the Stoics. Now the Epicureans were named their founder, Epicurus. And Epicurus said, if there is a god or gods, they have nothing to do with our world. They may be involved in the forming of the world, but they are now up in the heavens, in the ideal realm." enjoying themselves have nothing to do with us and we have nothing to do with them and so every hero has said the aim of life is to enjoy yourself to have a good life and he did not mean this in the sense of a riotous life in the sense of riotous living he meant this in the sense of having the good life no financial worries no worry of any kind. Everything in moderation. And it's not that what most people in our world today are looking for. Are not most British people, most Western people, Epicureans in their view of life? That the aim of life is to enjoy yourself. To live a good, a long and happy life. That was what the Epicureans said is the aim of human existence. And the gods of gods there be are far away from us. And it's not that what most people in this country believe, in some way, shape or form. On the other hand, you have the Stoics. And the Stoics said, they were named for the Stoa, the porch, the portico in which their founder taught. The Stoics said... God is the soul of the universe. They were what we would call pantheists today. God is in everything. And everything is in God. And so God to the the Stoics was not personal. God was impersonal. He was, or it, was very much what the New Agers today say the mystics who say, well God is in everything and their view of life was this that life the aim of life is to do what is good what is right, to do your duty step up a left, do your duty, that's the stoics, and endure whatever suffering comes your way And again, there are many, in this world today, who are practically, though they do not embrace the whole philosophy, they are practically stoics. And then all around they were those who worshipped the popular idols. There is no difference between Athens in the 1st century and England in the 21st century. There is no difference. Scratch the surface. And you will see this land is wholly given to idolatry, whether it is of the, the more open kind, superstitious, a superstitious worship of the stars, the horoscopes, or whether it is the more developed view of the Stoics, the pantheists, or the Epicurean idea that God is a long way away and my aim in life is to enjoy life to the full. and that is what provoked Paul and it moved him to react he was provoked his spirit was provoked within him as he saw all of this and he was angry to see all these idols but he was not angry with the people Because he is moved immediately to compassion for the people. And you see, Paul sees their sin. What we are doing is wrong. Idolatry is a sin. It is to worship anything other than the true and living God.
0: Okay, notice what he did here. Idolatry is a sin. First commandment here. He's going right after the law, calling idolatry what it is. Okay, and he's nailing people to the wall. Great, great job. Okay, let's see what he comes up with as a solution to this. But Paul also would confess this, that
2: he, he writes this, it is a true saying worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. How can the man who considers himself the chief of all the sinners who sees the wicked as his own heart, how can he be angry with these poor, ignorant, perishing Greeks who are worshipping everything except the true God? It's one of the hymn writers puts it, unless I am moved with compassion, how dwellest thy spirit in me. Unless as I look upon this world filled with idolatry, filled as ancient Athens was, given over to false worship. Unless I am moved with compassion over the ignorant people. As the Lord Jesus Christ was when he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. Unless I am moved with compassion. How well has thy spirit in me. And so Paul was moved to compassion and to teach. He was supposed to be waiting. Paul could not wait in activity. Therefore, you read in the synagogue with the Jews, the first point of contact, the people who do know about the one true God. And with the Gentile worshippers, and in the marketplace daily with those who happen to be there. He would seek people out, and he would speak to them about God. He would bear witness where he was, and they took notice of him. The Epicureans and the Stoics called him this babbler, literally the word is seed picker. And the the image is of a little bird, and the seed is scattered on the ground and the bird picks up this piece, and that piece over there, and this piece over here, and this piece over there. Little bits from all over. And the idea is a man who is unsophisticated. See these philosophers, they felt they were the sophisticated ones, they were the ones who knew. And Paul is unsophisticated Jew, well he is just picking up a little bit here, a little bit there, and blending them all together with this strange philosophy. This babbler, this seed picker. We don't understand what to say, they say. And there are those philosophers who say today, I do not understand the gospel. And the reason is not so that the gospel is too complicated, it's too simple for them. Do you get your mind used to these labyrinths of thought, these interlocking spiral staircases of thought, and you're confronted with a simple gospel. It's too simple. The mind is used to the intellectual labyrinth, finds it impossible to comprehend the simple. Well, you don't understand. What does this babbler want to say? Others said he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods. And the word there is not the usual Greek word translated gods in the Bible. It is the word from which we get the English word demon. And it was often used, it was used in the Greek world, in the pagan world, and we are pagans speaking here, of lesser deities under the chief gods. Such as men, like Hercules, who had been made gods this man is setting forth foreign gods but they are foreign gods these philosophers say in a lesser sense than true god. they understand that something is being said about Jesus being divine but you see as far as they were concerned a man could never be a true god he could only be a secondary kind of god confusion all around and they invited Paul to speak, before the, to speak at the Areopagus. The word literally means the hill of Ares. Or as we may know in Mars, the, god of, the Greek god of war. And the Areopagus was a court in Athens. But Paul is not here as a prisoner. He is here, as it were, before the intellectuals, the intelligentsia explaining to them what he is teaching and so in his teaching we have first of all paganism paganism and he begins, men of Athens I perceive that in all things you are very religious and the word there is deliberately ambiguous the authorised version renders it uh, too superstitious But that is to take one meaning of the word without the other. Now, our modern modern English, religious is an ambiguous word. You may speak of somebody who's very religious in a good sense. Or in a bad sense. So there are those who will say, well, Christianity is not a religion, meaning religion in a bad sense. But a relationship. And so Paul deliberately takes here a word that is ambiguous in the Greek. It can mean superstitious, it can mean religious. And he deliberately starts with this ambiguous word. Is, he, is this a, a compliment or is it a condemnation? Well, he will go on to explain what it is. You are very religious, he says. But you are ignorant. All of this religion <laughs> is ignorant religion. It is, we might say, religiosity, religious behaviour. Why are there so many idols in Athens? It is because people would pay for an idol thinking that this would make them, this would put them in the favour of the gods, or of the particular god they made an idol to. And they were desperate to please all the gods until they reached this point. Where they set up altars to unknown gods. There was not just the one altar to an unknown god, there were several altars to unknown gods. The idea was, well, we've got a list of gods, and there may be a few we've missed. And so, in order to please the ones who we may have missed, we'll set up altars to them with this inscription, to an unknown god, on them. And Paul says, well, you see, you admit, you admit, you Athenians, you are ignorant to a certain degree in matters of God. You are ignorant. you say as much, this idol, this altar. He doesn't say straight off. All of this is useless. He starts with an admission, a confession on their part, a the cheek in their religious armor. You confess you are ignorant. And you see all paganism, all false religion is worthless because of this, because the true God is unknown. All those they that just acts done. You look, if you've ever seen footage of the, the Hajj, the Muslim pilgrimage to Mecca, you will see millions of people, millions, save, many of them very, very poor, they save up for years and years and years. They risk their very lives in Mecca to go upon this pilgrimage, to walk around the Kaaba, the black cube, to go to these various sites and perform these various rituals. There is a devotion there, and you will see this in other religions. You'll see the the Hindu pilgrims at the Ganges washing themselves. And there is holy sight, you may go to Walsingham in Norfolk, where I I am from, and you will see men and women tramping along the roads barefoot, tramping along the roads barefoot for the shrine of Our Lady of Walsingham, hoping thereby to please God. And it is all, all, very religious, but very worthless. That is the, the terrible thing of all falsehood and all paganism. it is worthless before God. however, for deep the devotion vain is all our best devotion. If on false foundations built, says the hymn writer if our worship is based upon a false foundation then we may do whatever we please we may give our bodies to be burned we may die but if it is all built on a false foundation it is worthless and vain before almighty god very religious yet lost lost because they all have false ideas of who god is unless we know who god is what can we do? We cannot worship him or God if we don't know who he is. And so you see that the Stoics, they say, well, God is just this soul that indwells the whole world. The Epicureans say the gods or God or whatever there is are so far from us. And the popular people, the idolaters of the age, they were bowing down to Zeus and Hermes and Athena and all that other crew on Mount Olympus worthless. And yet you'll see how many are there today who are worshipping a God of their own imagination. Who do not know what the true God is like. They are going on second, third, fourth, fifth fifth-hand information derived from some ancestor long ago who was a believer. You read the Koran of Muhammad and you look at the at bits in the Koran that deal with Biblical stories and you will see they are jumbled and mangled and mixed together. They are like what you can remember from Sunday school 20 years later. Ignorance. On the one hand you have Biblical information, on the other you have myths and legends all mixed and mangled together is not that the religion of so many. A mixture of myths and fantasy and truth. Paganism. And because of the false view of God, it leads to the false view of man. Why is man, humanity, debased and degraded in the world today, in our nation? Humanity is degraded and debased. Why? Because there are the false views of God. You see, the, the Greeks, on the one hand, you have the, the popular view. They suppose that the gods were like men, petty and wicked. And so they could indulge their own petty, wicked hearts. On the other hand, the Stoic says, well, God is in everything. And so you will bow down and worship everything and bow down and worship yourself in the end and the Epicurean says that gods are so far from us we can do what we please you debase man if you debase God but Paul then goes on finally to the proclamation he will not leave them condemned but he will go on to proclaim the one whom you worship without knowing him I proclaim to you God who made the world and everything in it since he is Lord of the heavens and earth does not dwell in temples made with hands nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything since he gives to all life, breath and all things he is the creator gaze upon this wide creation you see God has made it all there is nothing that we see that God has not made though none of the Greeks suppose this at most, they suppose there was something existing before creation which whatever God there was formed into the world. But it was eternal. Matter was eternal, they felt. No, so Paul, God has made all things. And he has need of nothing. He does not dwell in temples made with human hands. God has created everything. He is the creator and he is the ruler. He is not, as the Epicureans suppose, an absentee ruler. But he is not far from each of us. And you see, on the one hand, the Epicureans said, well, the gods or God is transcendent. He is not a part of the world. And on that point, they were actually right. But half the truth presents the whole truth is a is a lie, it's a false thought. And on the other hand, the Stoics said, God is everywhere, but it's not personal. And Paul says, you are both wrong. You have part, you have seized hold of a part of the truth, and you've made the whole truth. God is everywhere, but he is a person, and he is above us all, and he rules. In him indeed we live and move and have our being. And he is not a sort of man like God of Mount Olympus, but he is a ruler, a just and a holy one, and a merciful ruler. He proclaims the justice and the mercy of God. God will judge. He has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. There is a day appointed of justice, you Epicureans," he says in effect. "You think the gods ignore you? No, God is recording every one of your actions. God knows what you are doing, and there is a day coming on which you must give account before Him for that. You must tell God, and He will stand before you and condemn you. But." He is also merciful. God now commands, in times of ignorance, God overlooked, there is mercy. He overlooked, he's not punished, but overlooked. But now, commands all men everywhere to repent, to turn from idols, to serve the true and the living God, to turn from their sins unto him, Repentance is mercy. Because you see. If men do not repent, they go down to the pit evermore. But God does not leave all men in ignorance and say, and I will condemn you all. He says now, no, I call you to repentance, to turn from your wickedness and lair it. And he does this by the man whom he has ordained who was risen from the dead, we come to Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. That God has sent his Son down from heaven, his eternal Son, to bear the penalty for human sin. the, The Apostle Paul says, he writes to Romans, but the goodness of God leads you to repentance. When we behold that God loved this world of wretched, wicked, evil, hell-deserving sinners, that Jesus Christ came down to earth from heaven for us. That the God who recalls everything we do, the God who knows all our wickedness, who knows the depth of depravity in the heart, died. For that sin, died to take it away. That Christ Jesus bore that sin. He who knew, he who knows, as no one else knows, the evil in the heart of man. Who knows what is in man, what depravity, what wickedness, died for man. He who knows our sin loved us, and loves us still, and is enthroned in glory. And calling sinners to himself. Here is the mercy of God. But God says. Through his ministers. He says through me. Turn oh turn. For why will you die? For my mercy is. Sent out into all the world. My mercy is calling you. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. as the Lord. Jesus says, come unto me, all you who labor, all you who in your religiosity are laboring and seeking to please God. Come unto me, all you who labor to make yourself right. Who labor falsely, come unto me. All you who labor are heavy labor, laden down with the guilt of your sins. Laden down with the burden of false religion, come unto me. And I will give you rest. And take my yoke upon you, he says. And learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. Come unto me, and that burden will be lifted. Come unto me, and that labor will be ended. Come unto me, for I, he says, I have borne the burden on Calvary. The burden of your sins, the burden of sin too great for man to bear. It is there, he says, I have borne it all, borne all incarnate God could bear with strength enough and none to spare. And I, he says, have done the labor, I have kept the law's demands perfectly, wholly, completely for you. Come unto me, says Christ, and I will give you rest. Oh, then we see how idolatry However sincere, however well meant, is worthless and useless and provokes God to anger. But we see how God calls, and he calls today, to come and to be saved by grace. To come, to turn from those idols that can never help, to Christ. Who has died that we might like ever live in him. Oh, indeed, may each of our hearts be enabled by his grace to say this morning, with the old hymn right to the dearest idol I have known, whate'er that idol be, help me to tear it from thy throne and worship. only me thee. Wow. Ha
0: <laughs> ha! Ah, to hear the gospel for me and for you and for our idolatries and for all of our sins. Oh, you can hear the gospel just burning in the heart of Pastor Charmley, boldly proclaiming Christ and him crucified for your sins and boldly calling the sinners in his congregation to repent and be forgiven. I think I'll just end on that note. Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener supported radio. That means we depend upon your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can support us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. And uh, when you get there, you'll see two yellow buttons. One says Join Our Crew, the other says Donate. And when you uh, join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute a mere $6.95 every month to the mission and work of Fighting for the Faith. Course, if you'd like to donate above and beyond, you can do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Well, what'd you think? Would love to get your feedback. You can email me. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's Facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian.